Our minds are all we have. They are all we have ever had, and they are all we can offer others. This might not be obvious, especially when there are aspects of your life that seem in need of improvement. When your goals are unrealized, or you're struggling to find a career, or you have relationships that need repairing. But it's the truth. Every experience you have ever had has been shaped by your mind. Every relationship is as good or as bad as it is because of the minds involved. If you are perpetually angry, depressed, confused, or unloving, or your attention is elsewhere, it won't matter how successful you become or who is in your life. You won't enjoy any of it. Most of us could easily compile a list of goals we want to achieve or personal problems that need to be solved. But what is the real significance of every item on such a list? Everything we want to accomplish, to paint the house, to learn a new language, find a better job, is something that promises that, if done, it would allow us to finally relax and enjoy our lives in the present. Generally speaking, this is a false hope. I'm not denying the importance of achieving one's goals, maintaining one's health, or keeping one's children's clothed and fed. But most of us spend our time seeking happiness and security without acknowledging the underlying purpose of our search. Each of us is looking for a path back to the present. We are trying to find a good enough reason to be satisfied now. Acknowledging that this is the structure of the game we are playing allows us to play it differently. How we pay attention to the present moment largely determines the character of our experience and, therefore, the quality of our lives. Mystics and contemplatives have made this claim for ages, but a growing body of scientific research now bears it out. That was a line out of the book Waking Up by Sam Harris, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. Waking Up is one of the many books on my book club that I recently launched. So if you're looking for a good new read, head over to my website, kyle.surf slash book club and check them out. I'm also an Amazon affiliate. So what that means is that if you buy any of those books off of my website or if you, you, or if you make any purchases using the link at the top of the book club, I will get a small percentage of anything that you buy on Amazon at no cost to you. So if you feel inspired to bookmark that link and then make your uh, purchases through that portal, it's a great way to support me and it doesn't cost you anything. This conversation is with Ernie Child. Ernie is a Coast Guard helicopter rescue swimmer. He is a certified EMT, operational fitness trainer, swift water rescue technician, high angle ropes rescue technician, advanced helicopter rescue technician, and cold weather survival instructor. He is the guy who you want to see when you are in the middle of the ocean in deep shit. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And without further ado, I bring you Ernie Child. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part about Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Let's get this bad boy going. All right, let's do it. Here we are. Okay. Um, so what would you say got you initially into the Coast Guard? So what got me in was growing up in a small town inland in Washington and driving three hours to go surf. My major primary goal in life was living as close to the waves as I could. And I didn't even know what that looked like, you know, like growing up in a small town, inland, Washington, cold, rainy, whatever, go out to the beach and you get your butt kicked. Like this shit makes time. you bulletproof. But you're going in no matter what. Cause you're right. like, I drove three hours, dude. I'm putting on this like five mil wetsuit. I'm going in, you know? And so doing that and like seeing the things that happened out there, a couple close calls and like seeing the Coast Guard fly over, I was like man, that might be a possibility someday. And then, uh, 
in high school i played played sports and i had a good thing lined up with colleges and stuff you're playing water polo i was playing uh baseball and football no water sports at all other than going out to the beach and getting my butt kicked whenever i could and uh and so after that, you know, I, I blew out my shoulder my junior year. And so all that felt kind of fell apart playing and I ended football. up playing football. All that fell apart. And I ended up moving to Maui for, you know, a few, like six months until my money ran out after doing construction. And, uh, that's when it was like, oh yeah, the Coast Guard thing. I'm going to, you know, like I want to be a rescue swimmer and go do that. And it all kind of fell into place. It was kind of a long process, but like it worked out and it was awesome. And I'm really glad I did that. Yeah, man. Uh, some of the the most uh, gratifying experiences of my last couple years, when I reflect on it, have been taking um, performance freediving's uh, breath hold course, right. th- three day course, um, going to CPR and big wave training courses. Yeah. It's such an empowering feeling to gain skills that you can gain in a day yeah. that can save people's lives. That experience, you know, like if you're comfortable, a little bit more comfortable out there, you're that much better off, you know? And like, it's all about training. Like if you're not training that stuff and you just paddle out for a quick surf on a three foot day and then you're paddling out in 15 feet, you know, it's like, have you trained up on that? Like, are you as comfortable as you think you are? You know? And it's like, that's one huge thing that we do in my line of work is like we're in the pool all the time we're training for stuff scenarios all that stuff you know it's like you you got to respect that ocean out there and it'll it'll get you real quick if yeah you're not, and you know. learn how to um acknowledge risks and, yeah. and identify risks before the situation happens because yeah. a lot of times when a bad situation occurs it's the result of four or five totally. things happening totally that the victim didn't recognize yeah yeah, a lot. Like so many times, it's like, did you check the weather? Even did you check the tides? You know, and like, sure, I'm guilty of it. Like, I'll paddle out and like not have looked at it that much, and you get up, end up in a sketchy situation. But there's so many like even boaters out there that are just like going out in crazy stuff they shouldn't be in, and sure enough, like you know, it keeps keeps me at work. Yeah. You know, but uh, but it's wild. Some people just don't have that respect for it, and I think as surfers, we automatically have a respect. But there's a whole nother level that needs to be like when you see it, obviously you've seen it. It's like you got a different appreciation for, yeah. you know, the possibilities that could happen out there. Well, it's wild to think about is that this planet is mostly water. Yeah. We're on these little yeah. patches of dirt yeah. on a water planet. Yet yeah. most people don't know how, how to navigate, physically yeah. navigate yeah. most of the surface of this world. But if we're so drawn to it, right? I know like some of us. Like some of us, you know, people aren't drawn to it and they're scared of the water or whatever. But I think a lot of us, even people, who, so even drawn. people who, even people who are scared of it are drawn yeah, to it. Some, something about it. Right. Even yeah. if it's a swimming pool, like, oh, I got to get in that swimming pool, you know, but it's like a lot. So many of us are drawn to the ocean for some crazy reason, you know, and it's like, unless you respect it in a certain way, you're going to get smacked down. Yeah, man. Well, it's, there's so much, it's so vast. Like f- for example, I mean, if you just look at the ocean, you immediately realize how small you are. Yeah. And then when you dive under the ocean, it opens you up to a whole nother world. People are way too concerned with aliens. Yeah. yeah. There are aliens under so the earth. Have you ever here. fucking seen planet earth? Yeah. There's some <laughs> wild creatures down there. I feel like they're finding something new like every day. Oh some yeah. Crazy looking fish that doesn't even have an eyeball or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, crazy stuff. Going we, on. we have explored more of the surface of Mars then we have our deep oceans. Yeah, we know wild. about m- more about the surface of Mars than we do about our deep oceans. It's crazy. There's some aliens that's, down yeah, there. Yeah, there's something going on. Something trippy going on. Yeah. So you um, you got into the Coast Guard. Yep. Like, what was the decision that you... So you were in Maui. What was yeah. the decision that you made? Moved back home. I was doing construction again. Saw my future with that. And it, I, I had, you know... I had more in me, I felt like, than that future. Nothing against it. But, uh... So then my uncle was in the Coast Guard and he kind of showed me to a recruiter and got that whole ball rolling. And uh, it's funny when you walk into a recruiter's office and like if you want to be, you know, of course, everybody walks in to a Coast Guard recruiter and is like, I want to be a rescue swimmer. I want to be a crazy boat driver. You know, like the you walk into a Navy one and you're like, I want to be a Navy SEAL, you know, and they're like, sure, dude, I got you. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get you there. And so they, you know, they're like the Coast Guard one. It's a little bit harder to get in. You got to, you know, take the ASVAB, which is like the military um, just general education test that you have to take. And whatever your score is on that kind of determines what jobs are opened up for you. Um, so that's like the first step, then a medical screening, um, PT, stuff like that. So 
doing that whole process was kind of like a good intro into like military life because a lot of people don't think of the Coast Guard as a military, but it's it, a, is it is a wing of the military, yeah, full on. So, um, got through that, um, and then went to boot camp, which was <sighs> boot camp's a little rough. It's it's a tough one. It's, it's hell. They're uh, they're basically like melting your brain into being a military member that can follow orders at this you know one second, like just do this. Okay. Done deal. What's you know? an example of that? Um, like just basically when like one way they did it was when the instructor walked, like the drill sergeant walked in, you know, you stand in position of attention, blah, 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 stuff like that. And it, in at the time you're like, this is stupid, dude. This is like a power trip, you know? But when you get out there and you're like on a boat or in a helicopter or whatever, and somebody's like, I need you to grab that line or I need you to press that button, whatever, like you do it. Cause you, you know, you're so used to working with people in that same way. And like being able to give orders, take orders, that kind of thing. So it works really well, but not a fun time at well, all. Um, what are some of the routines or what's some of the training that they make you go through in uh, rescue swimming boot camp? So, okay. So there's the regular boot camp that gets you into the Coast Guard. You get through that and then you, they send you out in the fleet, which is like, okay, you're a full on Coast Guardsman now. You go out in the fleet, you do your time and then you sign up for whatever job you want. And so I went to a small boat station in Corpus Christi, Texas, most random spot. I didn't even know where that was and uh, was kind of weirded out going to Texas you <laughs> to know, be a rescue like, swimmer. <laughs> I kind of wanted to surf, but all right, I'll go and uh, ended up having fun. I actually surfed quite a bit down there. Um, the warm water was nice from changing up from Washington. But uh, so I was on a small boat and what we did, I got qualified on, you know, I was like a crew member, stuff like that. And you kind of you get qualified and then they're like, OK you've done your time here. What do you want to do? And the whole time I was like, I want to be a rescue swimmer. I want to go like I'm gung ho working out all the time. And then you put your name on a list and you wait it out. And when your name is called, you go to ASTA school. What does um, that stand for? So AST is aviation survival technician. And then that's, that's like what I am, you know, I'm an AST. And then our general job title is, you know, helicopter rescue swimmer. That's kind of our bread and butter. That's what we do. Um, and then you go to that A school and leading up to that, you're mentored by ASTs who are in the fleet. Um, we like contact guys who are going in and give them a workout program, give them some training, kind of feel them out. It's kind of a, you kind of got to pass all the, all the right bullet points as far as like being able to work with us, being the right type of personality. You got to click with the guys. It's a pretty small group. Do they try and break your personality down the same way they do in hell week? Absolutely. Like you very, are not good enough. Very similar. You yeah. will fail. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very a lot of people compare it to that and we're not combat oriented. So I'm not, and I, I got a lot of respect for those guys. I'm not going to compare it to that, but it is, it could be com considered on that level. You know, I started with 25 guys, four of us graduated. Wow. It's, it's a, and it's still kind of at that. So it's tough, and it, you know, what were some of the trainings that most people would fail in? Were there a few Was yeah. it like, like underwater? I would imagine so people freak out underwater. You spend a lot of time underwater in that pool and a lot of people take it as like the panic zone, you know, and one thing they told us, um, you know, if I maybe like halfway through was like, you know, when you're underwater, we're not yelling at you. That's your happy place. So stay under there, you know, and I kind of, you know, that helped me out. But a lot of guys, it was like, dude, it, they just, they stress you out so much every day when you wake up, you're just like, oh my God, dude, like what are they going to do to me today? You don't know what's going on. They, that level of stress is put on you so that you can operate at that level, right? That level of stress is like elevated so much that they want you to perform when shit's hitting the fan and people are looking at you and you got to be able to do your thing, you know? And so, just, so they'll pull you out of bed yeah, early yeah, in the morning. Yeah. And like, um, PT they? on the grinder. So you do like, um, land PT, um, and what's PT? You, so physical training, right. so working out, um, a lot of like body weight, weighted vest type stuff, sprints, push-ups, pull-ups, all that stuff. Then you get in the pool and like what you're asking, like the hardest parts where they'll throw like a panic survivor at you where they're grabbing you, trying to drown you, doing all this crazy stuff and you got to control them. You know, like you're going into a situation where somebody's freaking out and you're supposed to get them out. But you're I mean, you're you're in the waves with them or you're in the ocean or on a boat with them like you're in the same boat. Rule number one, don't be victim number two. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just the biggest difference between us and them is like our attitude. So getting into that and like changing your attitude going into a situation and not being in survival mode is like, it takes a lot and a lot of guys don't have it, you know? And it's, uh, it's hard to, to turn that 
off in your brain. I remember like one day we were doing a, a pretty tough test. It's the one where it's a panic survivor and uh, you're supposed to put them in this rescue device that wraps around them like a sling and then they get hoisted up with you. Um, so the instructor, he got some kind of crazy hook on my leg and I could only kick with one leg. Um, and I just remember just swimming in circles, towing him, swimming in circles. And I like, I totally blanked and they were looking at me like, what are you doing? You were just, I swam in circles for so long and they just let me do it. Cause I was in survival mode. You know, I was just like so stressed, so freaked out trying to control this guy that I just swam in circles in the pool. And then eventually it kind of clicked. I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get out of here, you know? And I finally, you know, called for it or whatever, but it was like, it was a long time that I was just swimming in circles in survival mode. And I'll never forget that. And I think now when I go on a star case or whatever, like I remember that. And What's it, a star you know, case? Search and rescue case. So like we get a call or whatever and we go out to, you know, help people, save people, search pe- for people, whatever. So. I really liked what you said that the biggest difference between you and the victim is your attitude. Yeah. The way we enter the water is the difference. And that's the same with like surfing and everything. If you go into it thinking like, I'm just going to rip today. Like I'm, you know, like you don't think like, all right, I got to take a deep breath. Like where am I at right now? Maybe it's not my day. You know, maybe I don't paddle out today. Um, and just your attitude going into it is, is a huge determining factor of like your safety. Yeah. One, uh, one thing that one of my instructors said in the, um, performance freediving class that I took was that said slow is smooth, smooth is fast, slow, smooth, smooth is fast. And going back to what you're talking about, um, how many people can get themselves in trouble in the ocean by not taking a moment to look at the tides, look at what the swell's doing, because you could go down to the beach and say, oh, it's flat. And then 10 minutes later, you know, eight to 10 foot waves yeah. are coming in and you didn't take that time. Just that extra 10 minutes could have yeah. saved your life. Yeah. Taking a moment and, and navigating the ecosystem a little better. Totally. Yeah. And you don't have to be crazy about it, but at least have the respect of like, what is the worst thing that could happen and how do I get out of it? You know? And that's kind of the way we go into star cases is like, you kind of run through it, you brief with your pilots and flight mechanic and get a good idea of like best worst case scenario. And you go and do it and you just execute it the way you planned or you improvise and you always have that safe exit out or whatever. And that's like, that's huge. Some people, you know, get into the ocean, they don't know how to get out, you know? So you said that most people in your um, classes would quit during the victim drills. Yeah. So that was called, um, yeah, like panic survivor. Um, and, or, uh, just having a, having a survivor, one of the instructors that just is just testing your limit of your water confidence. And that was like the biggest thing was like, how do you control somebody in the water when they are just absolutely freaking out? How, know? how do you control them? It's, it's ton, it, like I said, ton of attitude and the way you approach them, even the way you, um, tell them like, Hey, I'm a helicopter instrument here to help you, whatever, whatever you want to say for that. Like one time I, I made a mistake and, uh, just as a disclaimer, like everything that I say is not the opinion of the coast guard. It's just my personal. Sure. So I swim up to this, uh, life raft with four guys in it and it, um, a big, it was like a big barge that sank like 20 miles off Monterey and it was pretty big and I was stoked. I was like, this is like a sick SAR case, like big waves, winds are gnarly flew out a really long ways, you know, and I was pumped and I, um, they lowered me down. I'm swimming up to the life raft and I always wanted to say this and I like cruise up, I'm smiling and I'm like, Oh, who ordered the pizza? And total wrong thing to say. I thought I was like going to be funny and lighten the mood a little bit by being like, Oh, who ordered the pizza, dude? What do you guys need? You know? And, um, they were not, they were not stoked at all. They, they didn't were get the seasick. joke. Yeah, they didn't tough get crowd, it. Tough yeah, crowd, tough crowd. It was a tough one. So, um, so what was that uh, call? Like, what were they? So that was stress. Like, yeah, what, what happened? Sunken barge, twenty miles off Monterey. Um, four guys in a life raft was the call, and so we flew out. It was it was like fifteen foot swells, thirty knot winds. Um, it was during the day, which was good, but it was like it was heavy out there. It was tough, and uh, I ended up. It was there were four like huge guys. And in our helicopter, we fly in a 65, and it's uh, pretty small, pretty small helicopter. The other helicopter the Coast Guard has is the 60, which is like a Blackhawk, like a Jayhawk. And they can hold a lot of people. But the one that we use out here um, is a smaller one, and I thought for sure they were going to have to leave me there. And that would have sucked because it was like, it was nasty, you know. But luckily, we fit all four guys. It took me like half an hour to get them all up and do all the hoist and everything. But it was uh, was a really good case. It was an eye-opener for 
doing that kind of thing of like getting some big dudes in the water and trying to get them out, you know, and luckily they didn't freak out on me, but I was, I was ready for it. You know, like I was totally ready for it. And, uh, just not going into that panic mode was the key. Yeah. Um, I've been getting into bow hunting recently and I've gained a serious respect for the, the term dead weight and how fucking heavy things are when they're not helping you. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, exactly. Dude, I physically, with all of my force, cannot move this thing. Yeah. Like, you think that you're going to get, like, the power of God, and you're, I'd be able yeah. to get him out. And we're like, yeah. nah, man. You, you kind of have to train for nah, that. Nah, you yeah. got to train, and yeah. you got to figure out yeah. the way to to do it. Yeah, because- and that's a huge part. Like, you know, half of our training in A school to get through to be a rescue swimmer is physical fitness. Like, you got to be at the top of your game to tell, you know, to say like, Hey, I, it's my responsibility to go in that water or go up that mountain and save people. You know, it's a huge responsibility and it's part of our job. We work out every day. We train hard to you know, like meet those tasks, you know, and, uh, you get super into it. Like I'm really into working out and training. We do tons of cool stuff and it's huge. If you're not ready for it and you're not confident in your physical ability, you're probably not going to do very well. Right. Well, you as know? you said, it's it's the attitude with which you enter the water and yeah. your training is going to determine your attitude because if you know in the back of your mind that you haven't put all the work in, yeah. that's going to affect your attitude. Totally. You can't fake that shit. No, you can't. You can't at all. If you come up to somebody and you're huffing and puffing, they're going to be like, <laughs> this going to get me out? Come on. You know? And I think I take it really seriously and all, all the guys take it really seriously about we're training because we don't want to have to think about that. You know, we want to be put down and like, it doesn't even cross your mind. They're like, Oh, I'm tired or whatever. It's just like, Oh, what's next, dude? This is awesome. What am I doing? You know? So the uh, people who are on the life raft, you put them into a kind of harness, a basket. A I basket. use a basket. Okay. Yep. And then it pulls them up in yep. a helicopter. Them up. So when we fly out, we fly with two pilots. So a pilot and a co-pilot and those are officers. So anybody that wants to go that route, anybody that wants to be a coast guard helicopter pilot, you're going to be an officer. Um, and then the enlisted part of the crew is myself, which is the rescue swimmer. And then the flight mechanic who is the badass dude that controls the hoist, who basically has my life in his hands. And those guys, um, are like the flight mechanic. Like they know all about the aircraft. They work on the aircraft. Um, they back up the pilots. They're kind of running the cabin. They're kind of running the show in there. And, uh, and then we sit in the back and we do our thing. We're EMTs, um, and then we go down and obviously jump in the water, or go on cliffs or whatever. But, uh, but when it, when you're working as a crew like that, it's huge to when then they do a good job in the coast guard of like working as a team, briefing stuff up and making sure you have a good plan, you know? And that's when I, when kind of like rank and all that stuff kind of goes out the window and you just kind of work with everybody in the crew and get a good game plan. And so with that case, we had some pretty, um, couple junior guys, couple experienced guys, and we decided to use, you know, the basket and that was going to be the best way for the big guys. And they did a great job hoisting them up and we flew back to Monterey and everybody ended up being all right. So it was, um, that was, that was one of my favorite ones out here in San Francisco for sure. It was a good one. So cool, man. Yeah. Also, um, I would imagine getting out into the middle of the ocean. That's an experience that most yeah. surfers don't get to see. Yeah. Like people don't realize how big open ocean swells are it's different like even if it's not breaking waves yeah like perfect storm kind of shit yeah when you can't see land it trips me out i i'm like not yeah it's it's something weird that you you i don't even know if i could ever get used to it but being out there in the ocean when it's big like that and not being able to see land and you don't have any references or anything it's kind of it's kind of trippy it threw me off and the water was super clear um so it was kind of it was just it was weird it was cool being out there though it was fun Wow, man. What a, um, what a cool way to be able to like learn about yourself, like yeah. these kinds of situations yeah. and, and putting yourself in difficult situations where you really need to fall back on what you're made of. Yeah, totally. Um, I think is something that as a society as a whole, like people are really looking for. I think especially young men, yeah. like we young men who tend to get into a lot of trouble as kids, like don't have those outlets yeah. to, um, use that energy and testosterone in healthy, healthy ways. Totally. And I think anybody like to me, like the military was an option for me. And I like, I'm really glad I took that opportunity. And for a lot of guys, like you're saying, like there's so many good, like surfers out there, rock climber, whatever. So many good guys out there that we could use like in any part of the military that you can, you can make such a good career out of it. If you're willing to put in that time 
and you're going to get some awesome training, steady paycheck, you know, and it's like, it's super fun. And especially being a rescue swimmer, it's like, and being in the coast guard as a surfer, you're always going to be by the beach and you'll have time to surf and train in the ocean. You're going to be in the ocean all the time and you'll be able to test your limits a little bit. And it's pretty fun when you look at it in those ways and make the most of it. And then it can also be totally eye-opening, you know, in the coast guard, do you ever get stationed overseas? Um, you do. Yeah. Um, as rescue swimmers, we do deployments and stuff. Um, not necessarily overseas, but the other guys more like, um, the boat guys, um, some of the tactical guys, they'll go overseas and work with uh, those guys, like our new tactical team guys, those are, they're working with all different countries and they're traveling all over the world all the time. So it's kind of cool. You can there's a lot of opportunities within the Coast Guard that you'd be kind of surprised yeah um, as what's out there because uh, you know people do forget like we are like the military, you know. Yeah, but I think that what's what's attractive to me about it and why I like what you're saying about this whole thing is that like you you really are helping people. Yeah. I think yeah. that other aspects of the military, I have a huge amount of respect for many people in the military. I have friends who are Navy SEALs and um I think there are a lot of great aspects of it, including discipline um, and situations where you do genuinely help. But there are a lot of situations where you get sent into parts of the world where the people really don't want you there. Yeah. And you are there for um, false reasons. Totally. Really. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, if you, if you yeah. look at how it all really works and yeah. if you question the system at all, you understand that many times you're being put in a situation where you're not really protecting freedoms. Yeah. You are there. Politics, you're yeah. there to, yeah, yeah for a, a political service. Yeah. Um, whereas with rescue swimming, what I really like about it is that like that person really did need help and you were that per, you yeah. were that guy that was able to help them. Yeah. You know, and it I think it's pretty cut and dry for sure. Yeah. You know, and it makes it a little more fulfilling in that aspect and there's less, you know, kind of bullshit to deal with. I, you know, my job is pretty, pretty state. Like I know what I'm supposed to do, you know, and as a crew, when we fly out and search for somebody or whatever, and it's one of those ones that may not be kind of a thing that you even think is a real call, even though that, that's as bad as it gets. You know what I mean? It's not one of those things where it's like big picture. Why am I doing this? What's going on? Um, I would say definitely in, in my career field that that aspect of the politics and all that stuff is kind of like out of it, yeah. you know, which is really nice. Um, and then on top of that, you've got a crazy good, like core group of guys. Um, there's only like 340 of us, I think active, um, that are rescue swimmers and it's, uh, in, in the coast guard right now, in the coast guard, so there's only very small number, very small number. Wow. So with that, you know, everybody, like it's just such a tight core group of guys that having that, if you want that camaraderie, um, you're going to get it for sure. And it's all type A personality guys and you're getting after it, flipping each other's shit, you know, it's like, it's a good environment for young guys to be in, like, with all that, you know, training and testosterone. Have there been any, um, also are, are women, are there any women there's rescue couple, Yeah, there's really? been a couple that made it, and they're totally badass, um, and, um, we, a lot of, a lot of women come through, for sure, and it's wide open to them. Cool. So. Um, have there been any calls that you've been on that have been traumatic? Yes, absolutely. So with what we do, it's, uh, you're not always saving people, you know, and I've had a few where like the, the Asiana plane crash, I was on that, did two medevacs off that. And that whole scene was just like unreal. And I remember we landed and picked up two patients. Explain the, this situation. So the Asiana plane crash. So that was the plane that crashed at SFO, um, bunch of people on board. Um, I remember walking out to the plane and I, we were going for a training flight. I was walking out to the plane and I see this big plume of smoke and I was like, that's weird. They must be doing some like training or something over there. And I look behind me and the pilots are running out saying like, we're going plane crash, we're going. And so automatic, like you just have to click it into high gear, you know, you got to just turn it on. And we flew over, kind of surveyed the scene and then they landed. And then I got out and started saying like, Hey, I got a helicopter who, you know, who's your primary that needs to get out of here right now. Who's the most serious person. Um, and we ended up getting up two people and took him to the hospital 
and they ended up um, surviving both of them. What did that but scene look like when it was you pretty rock, hectic. rocked up on it? It was pretty hectic. A lot of smoke, a um, lot of tons of people and fire trucks rolling up. Everybody's rolling up. It was, they were doing triage and they were doing a great job at it. But to me, from I'm so used to working alone that seeing all that go down, it was just like, whoa, dude, this is huge. Like they, like it, it, it was unreal seeing people like, um, like zombies walking around. Like they were, is it like the, they were doing a good job organizing the whole thing. And when we took off, you could see that they had a flow going on as far as the triage went. But when I was walking around looking for somebody, I was just kind of wandering, you know, and I didn't, there wasn't like a primary person to go to because it had just happened and we showed up, you know, and the weirdest thing about that day was we did that, did the medevacs, went back. I stood the rest of my duty, got back to my apartment in San Fran. I'm in the elevator elevator. And this guy, random guy was like, Oh, did you hear about the plane crash? And I just like, it hit me so hard. I was like, yeah, I heard about it. And then I just went into my apartment, but it was like a heavy moment of like, Hey, you're back in reality, dude. Like you need to go get groceries or you need to, you know what I mean? Like it's a trip having to, having to, you know, reset that on a daily basis of like, I just went and did that. And now I'm back home with civilians and just, you know, it's a trip. Yeah. My brother talks about that. He's a firefighter right. for San Jose. And he said that it's, it can be kind of strange going from work where he's dealing with life and death situations and then clicking back and the kids are running yeah. around the house and all right, we got to go get cereal yeah. and food, you know, and just being able to switch your mind back and forth, um, seems like where a lot of the, the trauma can actually occur. Yeah. It's a struggle and it takes a while. I don't even think I have it figured out, but it takes a while to like recognize it even, you know, like, so how did you start to recognize that, um, in your own life? Like so I think the biggest, the biggest event that happened to me was during training. It wasn't even a search and rescue case. Um, we were doing training out at Mori Point in Pacifica and we were doing vertical surface, which is where the helicopter lowers the rescue swimmer onto a cliff to help rescue somebody that might be hanging from it or stuck or whatever. And so we kind of basically sort of repel out of the helicopter, but we don't really have control about, you know, how fast or how slow we're going. It's all hand signals. So anyways, we're doing the training out there at Mori Point and, uh, I was going down to a dummy on the cliff and the winds kind of shifted and picked up and it got a little sketchy and the helicopter started to descend and I didn't know what was going on. I just remember kind of, I was walking down the cliff and I was like, Oh, this is weird. I'm not giving a signal to go down. And then all of a sudden I was like running down the cliff and I was like, something's off. And I looked down and at Mori point, it's just rocks down there. And I was like, dude, this is it. I think I'm going to go on this one. You know, like, this wait, so you're, wa you were walking down the cliff. So they're like lowering me. Okay. So I'm hooked up to a cable. I'm, I'm like, you know, probably like 80 feet below the helicopter hanging from a cable, like kind of in a repelling position on the cliff. Right. And all of a sudden they start descending. So I'm going with that. I'm going with them as they start descending. And, uh, right before I hit the rocks, they, I shot over, they swung me over, over the water. I hit the water and I was like really shaken up. I was like, what was that all about? And then I look up and they're flying away and I was like, Whoa, something really. And it was like a second that I looked up and I, I noticed they're flying away and I looked down and I realized I was still hooked. Like I, I was hooked up to the helicopter still. I was still on the cable. And but you were as, in the water. I was in the water. Holy and shit. And they're flying away. They're, I think in the mishap, they were, I think it was like 30 knots. They were flying away, which is pretty fast. And all of a sudden, I looked down, and the, as soon as I got my hand on the hook to try to disconnect, the, the cable just went taut, and I got yanked out. And then they sheared me, which is like a button you can press. The flight mech can press it, and it cuts the cable, and it lets the swimmer go, right? And luckily that guy who did it probably, I mean, he was quick on it. So it really helped. Uh, I wasn't super high. And then I hit the water again when they sheared me and I was just like, I came up above the water. I remember throwing my helmet. I didn't know what happened. I was like angry, scared, confused, like all the emotions you could think of. And then just a rush of like shock went over and they're trying to reach me on my radio and I'm just so out of it. And like, I'm looking up at the cliff I, it like all sunk in, you know, eventually. And I just was like overwhelmed. They ended up picking me up with another helicopter and getting back out. But that was like a major, major event that happened to me. And it was during training, you know, and it was, um, 
the most traumatic thing during training that happened to me. And it, it definitely affected me, you know, later down the road. So what happened? Did they mean to it do was, that? They did not mean to do it. And it, like pilot did everything he could. Um, the way the wind shifted over that cliff, it created like a downdraft and they didn't have enough power in the helicopter to have me on the cliff, maintain their hover and, you know, like move around and be able to maneuver. So when that burble hit them, they automatically descended and the pilot did the right thing. He pulled up as hard as he could and it eventually flew out. But during that time I was still down there, you know, and it, it, it like, it was pretty hectic cause I was so far down that the cable was moving all over the place. So he ended up saving the aircraft and it was a great job and by the flight mech too. Like but everyone could have died if yeah, he would hadn't yeah, maneuvered a, in that way. It, it could have been a crash for sure. Yeah. They did a good Woo! job, but yeah, it was gnarly dude. It was, uh, it was a big one. So from, from that, I, uh, went back to, I got evaluated, went back to work and I was like brand new. I was like probably six months out of a school. And when that happened, so I was really gung ho. I was a young guy. I was like 22. I was, uh, I, I did not think it affected me in any way. I was like, Oh, I'm good to go. Like I haven't even really got a star case yet. Like I, like I'm good. That, like I'm a little shaken up, but totally good to go. So they sent me um, to some advanced training in a story that we do. And I did that. And like, they just got me right back into the shit, you know, like training up again, getting in big waves, treating it like normal, um, which was good in some ways. But two years later, um, after I had met my wife and got married and everything, um, I started to have some issues and like some nightmares, some just sweating and like nervous when we flew, um, some flashbacks, like it all hit me pretty hard. And that's when I realized, like, I need to see somebody. This this is not right. Something's off. And I felt, like, you know, angry about stuff. And um, it was bad for a little while. And then I started to get um, treatment. You know, the Coast Guard's all good about that kind of stuff. And treatment's really good. Um, but it was – it's it's not over, you know. It's something – you still have to operate and do your job. And I had to find an outlet to help me with that. Because you can't just go to therapy all the time, in my opinion, you know. Um, it wasn't, like, the answer for me. And so – I surfed as much as I could and I like working out is huge. If I don't work out, I can feel the tension a little bit, but working out, getting that release of all, you know, like just getting after it and getting a sweat going, you know, it doesn't even really matter what it is, but just getting that workout or yoga or some kind of activity, a hike, whatever. And if I mentally kind of am able to like check in with myself and, and, uh, get a grip on things, it helps kind of reset. Was it confusing in the beginning when you started having some PTSD? Yeah. Did you initially know that it was from that event or was it, you know, just a confusing situation where you'd wake up in the middle of the night sweating or you'd have bursts of anger yeah. or any of these symptoms? It's exactly what you said. It's like I was confused. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was from. Um, nothing like that. And then my wife was the one who pointed it out. And she, I mean, props to her. She had my back, you know, and she was like do you realize like what you do and what happened to you and all that stuff? It was two years ago, but that's, that's pretty major, you know? And, um, I think I started to kind of talk with her about it and we kind of figured it out. They're like, yeah, it's probably like some kind of trauma, some kind of issue that you're dealing with from that event, other events, whatever. And it just built up, you know, some guys, if that happened to them, they might be fine, but other people, you know, you might not be okay. It's a, it's a total, like I was saying earlier, like it's total reset when something like that happens, you think of life differently, you know, when you are close to dying or see something, you know, somebody die, whatever you, it's, it's a major reset and you kind of have to recognize that, you know, it's like your body's telling you like, Hey, you almost died or whatever. Like, don't do that again. I'm going to, I'm going to jack your heart rate up, make you sweat, whatever, when you're feeling that way. And it's like, it's a sign and you have to deal with it. So know? it would happen in helicopters specifically. Yeah. So you'd get into a helicopter. Yeah. I'd be on like duty or going on a training flight. And as soon as I got in, I would, I would be sweating and we wear, we wear like wetsuits and dry suits and stuff. So you're already kind of sweating. So it kind of, I was like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe it's hot, you know, whatever. And, but it would be like a constant thing where I was just like, and I'm not like a very nervous guy. I'm pretty mellow, but I had that vibe where I was like real, like, just angry and like stressed out, sweating and, um, just real jittery. And that wasn't really me. And I think, I think my wife recognized that and she, uh, she called me on it, you know, and it's kind of hard to call somebody like a type A guy on something like that. 
because I was like, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm good. Fine, bro. I'm good I'm to fine. go. Yeah, exactly. And it was, uh, <laughs> good. yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Don't fucking cry, work Exa- out. Yeah, it's exactly. All good. <laughs> Take a knee and drink some fucking water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, man. Tough. Well, good for you for recognizing that because, yeah. you know, as we were saying before, like knowledge is control. And is if you have knowledge of what it is that, um, then you can take the steps to deal with it. Yeah. So was there, once you recognized it, um, was there any, you said you, you know, you do yoga, yep. you work out. Yep. Um, was there anything that, that significantly helped? I think um, it's like, or was there any point when then you were able to get back in helicopters yeah. and you felt like, okay, I've, I've calmed down a little bit here. I did have. So after going to therapy and, um, the therapist kind of tried to to help me find, since I was moving, I was like transferring, you know, we transfer every four years. So she's like, I'm, you know, I'm not, you're not going to be with me the whole time. So she started trying to get me to, to find an outlet, find something that was going to help me, which was like super cool. You know, it makes sense. And so I started messing with like yoga, different types of yoga, working out, running, you know, surfing, all those things. And what I found out was for me, at least, if I go into a workout, a surf session, yoga, whatever, and I recognize like, Hey, I am going into this with some issues and I'm going to come out a little bit better Then, no matter what it is, I'll come out way calmer, better for that day. Or, you know, sometimes it'll last a couple days where it's like, that was a good session. I feel good about it. Um, it helps a ton. And I think it's like, at, but at first I was like, I need to work out. I need to get a good sweat and just beat myself up. And that wasn't the right route. You know, I was going into a workout looking to like, um, take it out on myself almost. And now I think I recognize that I need to go into it knowing and recognizing what's going on and just treat it like it's treatment, treat it, dude, like do some yoga, focus on certain things and and get your reset. You know, have you talked to other people in the coast guard, other people in the military who have also dealt with, um, PTSD a little bit. It's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough community, especially with rescue swimmers, to open up about that stuff because it's not super known and it's not, you know, combat PTSD. It is, you know, in the same area of like first responder, firefighter, that kind of area, you know? So it's kind of, I can open up more, but I almost have to, I have to be careful too, you know, cause I still do my job. I still operate. I still get, you know, flight physicals and I get checked all the time and I'm still good to go, but it's a tough one because I got to be careful, um, how far I go with it stuff like that. So it is cool having the community of swimmers to, to, uh, fall back on, but there's a lot of guys who it's not necessarily an an open discussion yet. And I think we need to get there for sure. And it's really important to talk about it. And when I'm in a position to, um, facilitate those talks, I want to, you know, I want to create that environment that's open because when it happened to me, nothing against that shop, but it wasn't really an open environment to say like, Hey guys, I'm having some like issues here. It's like, you know, do your job, dude, work out, let's get after it. Let's train, go fly, you know, swim in the ocean, surf, whatever, and keep all that stuff, you know, to yourself. Yeah. Well, good for you for exploring it. I think that we're in a unique time where we understand a lot about the human body. Like there's, we're to a point now where we know what foods are going to kill us and what foods are going to make us stronger. We know what workout routines will allow us to be strong and live healthy lives. But we, still don't understand that much about the human mind. Yeah. And for a long time, we have, you know, I mean, everything from you know, just a few years ago, we were giving people electro shock therapy because they're like, oh, you're gay. Yeah. yeah. We're going to put some electrodes on you and that'll solve it. Crazy. Like yeah. th- we yeah. still have an in infantile view of the way that the human mind works. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books that I've read in this past year was uh, by a guy named Sebastian Younger, who's, um, he was a war correspondent and it's a book called Tribe. Um, And he makes the argument that a lot of PTSD doesn't occur, it's not so much the event that happens, it's after the fact. Many people in military feel um, isolated from their communities. They feel like they don't have a place where they can talk about it and where they can um, reconnect. And he makes the argument that he says, look, if if humans weren't good at dealing with trauma, we wouldn't be to this place in evolution. Clearly, our ancestors have dealt with a lot of trauma over the over the generations. 
Um, but what they had was a tribe. They had a community that they could come back to um, and process that trauma with. Um, whereas now we live in this very individualistic society um, that doesn't provide a lot of space for people to um, to process. Yeah, it is. It's kind of it's a it's a touchy word to bring up. Like I, sometimes I even don't even want to call it. I don't want to label myself either, you know, because it's like it's tough. Totally. Man. Well, we it's a buzzword almost. It is, and we've. I mean, we didn't used to call it PTSD in Vietnam. We called it shell shock. Right. People. Yeah. Oh, he. Yeah. Oh, they were shell shocked, and then, um, you know. So and now it's gotten to this acronym of like, oh, it's PTSD, and yeah. it's and it. I, I understand that you want to be careful of how you talk about it because yeah. there are also people who um, have been in the military who claim that they had PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who then get benefits from the VA yeah. and that pisses a lot of people off in the military. Cause they're like, wait, where were you stationed? Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, yeah. it's murky. And that's why it's, I, I really like to point out, like, it's not, it's not combat PTSD. That's a whole different beast. You know, it's a, it's a different thing. And I think that like first responders, EMTs, firefighters, it's, it's a different type, you know, it's, it's a total, mind reset of the way you think of the world and you have to kind of at least for me I felt like I kind of had to like start over with like where I stand with all that you know and when you talk to somebody about it like it's a great community in the Coast Guard and there are protocols and systems that are meant to help help people out with it but when you like talk to somebody like hey man I've got I've got some issues like you know PTSD stuff like that and people are just like they go through like the checklist you know it's like it's a very non- confrontational like real you know step out of their you know shoes type deal where it's like I don't really know how to relate to you you know whereas like I'm ha I haven't had anybody come to me to talk about it but if they did I think it'd be on a different level if they know that you're dealing with the same thing you know yeah man I like I was saying we understand a lot about the body yeah. if you break your arm you're gonna have friends that come over and sign your cast but if you tell people you're depressed most people don't know how to deal with you that. Don't. Yeah, you like, don't. Oh, right, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, but it's touchy. It's super touchy. Yeah. But I think that the more that we can kind of t that we can talk about this, yeah. and the more research that we put into this, um, the better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually found so I've uh, experimented with psychedelics yeah. in my life, and yeah. um, they've been really beneficial for me. Not so much with PTSD, but. Um, there's a lot of research coming out around the beneficial um, effects of ayahuasca right. on PTSD because what it what the what it does what the plant does is it upregulates your neurochemistry and a lot of people have these phobias um, you know so an example I would give is like let's say you're six years old and you got bit by a Rottweiler and now you have a phobia of dogs you don't you don't know why like you want to like dogs but you can't every time you walk into a room your palms get sweaty. Um, and it's very difficult to intellectualize your way out of, okay, I know I got bit by this dog when I was six, but like, I'm still really afraid of him. What, um, what ayahuasca has been able to do for people is it upregulates your neurochemistry and, and it helps people go back to that event of trauma, um, and see it in a new way. And it's, it's, I think, um, of really important that we do talk about these potential therapies, yeah. um, because a lot of times, you know, we, we do have an oversimplified view of like what can help. And I don't claim to have all the answers, but yeah. it's something that um, really it fascinates me, man, because a lot of people deal with it. And I think that we could um, get over these experiences and thrive if we understood yeah. them better. Yeah, I do feel like it's something you can get over. You know, like I personally, I feel like you can kick its ass and like get it out of your system and just have a way better life and deal with it. And instead of like having this chronic thing that sticks with you forever, um, I feel like, you know, even though sometimes it's like a daily battle, I feel like with those kind of things and like, um, dealing with it in healthy ways, I think you can really like get on top of it, you know, instead of having it kind of weigh you down, I think you can really beat it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And the first step is talking about it. Yeah, totally. And it's tough in the military, you know, we, we can't do certain things, can't get certain medications or do things like that, but there's other ways to go about it. And it's awesome that it is kind of getting more and more researched because there's, you know, like there's some good ways to deal with it that maybe aren't open to the military member, 
but maybe there's there's a way out there that where we can allow military guys to like do this kind of thing yeah you know? Have you ever seen the movie? Was it is what's the one with Dennis Quaid and uh, it's about rescue swimmers? Uh, oh, the Guardian. The Guardian. Dude, that's a classic. The Guardian. I had um, a pro surfer named Alvy Lair on this podcast, and he said if I wasn't a pro surfer, I'd want to go into the Coast Guard. That, yeah, I was yeah. like, what made you do it? That movie will get the you fired Guardian. up. Ashton Kutcher and uh, yeah, what's that other guy's name? Like Dennis Quaid or Dennis, uh, no? Dang, I or, um, that. It's the um, fuck Kevin Cars Kevin Costner. That's it. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Costner. He's legit. Yeah, great movie. If you want a quick <laughs> little sneak peek into like the you know like movie version of what we do, do you feel like it was one. accurate? It was pretty accurate. They they talked to some swimmers. Like a lot of the guys were in the movie. Um, active guys were in that movie, and it was pretty good. But now it's kind of it's kind of old now. But it was. Like, I think it was well made and it like told the story of like kind of what we do and what we go through. Right. Like, so like what were examples of, uh, in that movie we were like, oh yeah, we, it's like, like some of the A school stuff, like when they're training, um, that stuff was pretty realistic, but you're on a different, little bit of a different relationship with your, with your instructor than they showed in the movie. Um, as far as like being able to talk to him a certain way or whatever, it's a little more stressful than what they made it seem like. But uh, as far as, like, the rescue stuff they showed, that was pretty accurate. And they did a pretty good job showing uh, how that stuff goes down, working as a crew, stuff like that. That's so cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah what a life. It's pretty cool. Life. It's it's pretty fun. I'm, like, I'm happy I'm having a chance to talk yeah. with you about this because you're gleaning a, I'm, I'm gleaning a lot of insights into a world that I know very yeah. little about. And as a surfer, um, the big wave surfing community has become more organized in recent years, um, where there are now classes that people can take on risk assessment, big wave safety, that I think are pushing the sport in a great direction because there have been people um, who have needlessly died yeah. Um, yeah. as a result of us not being a more organized community and having the safety yeah. in place that that um, groups like the Coast Guard do have in place. Yeah. I think it's like, it's huge. If you have that military approach and like an objective, a task, like different steps, backup scenarios, you know, like all that stuff, it, it everything flows so much better if you approach it with like an objective, your primary goal, secondary, stuff like that. And you walk through all the risk management and stuff like that. It's like everything usually has an answer and it goes really smooth and you were seeing like guys get crazy waves making you know making it through tough wipeouts stuff like that it's like that stuff works yeah you know so what's it like can you bring me into an example of that like a call yeah. you've been on and and what the conversation is that's going on in your mind um regarding you know f secondary yeah. first you know all that kind of stuff yeah i'll walk you through like a whole like almost like a whole duty so you get on duty and you meet up with your crew right you got a four-man crew Pilot, co-pilot, and one of those pilots is an aircraft commander. So he's yeah. he's the lead guy in the crew, and he's an officer. And then you got your flight mech and your swimmer, right? And the, like the watch standards and stuff like that. You guys all meet up at the beginning of your duty day, and you go through risk assessment, which is like you check in, like how how much did you sleep? Did you work out already? Um, how you feeling? Anything going on at home? You just check in with everybody. Everybody gets a good baseline, right? And that's how you start your day. And then from there, they go into like if we get a call, you know, I want you know, you guys checking this, you guys checking this, whatever. So all your checks are done. I check all my gear. As soon as I get on duty, everything's good to go. Right. As soon as you get that call, you immediately meet up in the aircraft or what's, so what's an example of a call? So, like, so a call like the star alarm will go off and it'll be, um, person in the water. Um, like I'm stationed in Port Angeles right now. So like, we'll say, you know, out at, uh, the push person in the water out in the push. Right. So for that, we would meet up um, most likely in the aircraft and go through a brief, right? It's like the mission, um, what radios we're going to use, um, what, um, what our flight plan is going to look like, stuff like that. And then we'll get on We'll get out and go do our thing, start the plane, start flying out. And as we're flying out, the pilots go through another checklist, which is like, all right, um, we think we know what we have. We don't always know it until you get on scene, but here's, we know we got somebody in the water, right? So they'll be like, you know, like, Ernie, like rescue swimmer, what, what, uh, what device you want to use? How do you want to approach this? Um, what are the tides doing? Stuff like that. And it's like, it's a checklist of your mission. Um, what your primary mission is, which is we're going to go out and try to find somebody. And if we can, we're going to get them out. Right. So that's our primary mission. Um, and that's kind of tied up with your tasking, right? Sometimes on a search, like when we don't know somebody's in the water and we're just searching, um, whether it's like somebody got a call of distress, 
then your your primary mission is to go out and search the area and then if you find something you got to reset that mission right to like oh there's somebody in the water we're resetting that mission to go save somebody so you go into a different mode from search mode to rescue mode um and a huge part of that is like going through what equipment we want to use um how much fuel we have how much time i'm going to have on scene stuff like that so everything's in place and with that comes like a risk assessment so you go through like how's it how's everybody feeling you know like and you do like a certain scale and then how's the environment is the weather good what's you know water temp stuff like that and you run through all those things and it ends up being you're going into a situation i'm going out the door and we're all on the same page you know and if something goes wrong um we always have like the backup plans where i can just get on the radio and be like hey uh, I need the strop instead of the basket or whatever, you know, and you can switch it up really quick. What's the strop? So the strop is a, sli- it's a sling that goes underneath the survivor's armpits, hooks up to the hook that's connected to the cable, goes to the helicopter. And then I also clip my harness in and we go up together, um, just tan- like tandem going up in the helicopter. And that's a quick way to get somebody out. And then there's also the basket, which we put people in and you can send them up. And if we have multiple survivors, um, that's the best way. Cause then the swimmer can stay down in the water and get people. Um, but I don't know if I really got enough detail on risk management. Um, I don't even know how to break it down as far as that so, goes, you know, like, no, no, I'm sure that a lot of it just comes from experience. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important. Um, so two questions first, um, let's say someone, probably isn't going to join the Coast Guard, but they want to take steps to become a more um, adept person at being able to save a life. What um, would you recommend some of the steps be that they do um, to become more more proficient and, and helpful? I would say definitely like physical fitness. If you go into a situation not physically fit, you're probably, your chances are a lot greater of being in a bad situation along with that person you're trying to get, right? So being physically fit is like, it's huge just for everyday life. And I think that's like step one. Step two is like recognizing what you're going into, right? Knowing, knowing the bad parts, knowing the, the, the outs and your exit routes, stuff like that um, is huge. Like knowing worst case scenario, I know I'm going to swim this way, you know? That goes a long way because when you start freaking out or, you know, shit really hits the fan, you need to know your exit and how to get out because that's that's your job is like, I got to get myself out too, you know? And then your third, like, everybody should know CPR, I think, you know? It's the, a lot of studies are going on. It's like, it's really dialed in. And if you know how to do CPR, um, you, you have that and you're comfortable with it, you've been trained up, you can definitely save a life with CPR for sure. And I think with those three things, like physically fit, recognize your risks and know your exit and then you know no cpr basic first aid that'll go a long way and you'll end up especially just entering the situation especially like surfers getting somebody out of the water who shouldn't be in there you're saving a life definitely and how about if a um if you see someone face down in the water let's say you're surfing yeah someone got knocked out by the board they're face down they're blue what do you do get them in as quick as you can and get everybody around you to help you out Um, don't just do it yourself. Don't be the tough guy. If there's other people around, especially other surfers, like they're going to help most likely. Right. So get everybody you can to help you out so that you're not smoked when you get on the beach. And then immediately, as soon as you can send somebody else to go call 911 and then get cranking on CPR if you know it. Right. But just get them out of that environment. That's the biggest thing. Um, and getting other people to help you get, get a big scene going so that people recognize what's going on. And that'll just, that'll automatically help for sure. And if someone's listening to this and they want to join the Coast Guard, what would be some steps that they could take um, to make that happen? Definitely uh, talk to a recruiter. Look into what jobs are out there. There's a lot of good jobs in the Coast Guard, and it's all online. Um, And then talk to a recruiter. And then also through a recruiter, you can talk to, you know, if you want to be um, a boat driver or a swimmer or whatever, they can most of the time, if you um, have everything together, They'll get you in contact with people who can can really give you insight on the options and what you want to do, the job, all that stuff. So talk to a recruiter and make sure that you have um, a good ASVAB score when you go to take that test. What's ASVAB? ASVAB is like the basic general knowledge military test that like everybody takes. Um, and sometimes if you don't score well enough, it'll it'll it makes you ineligible to have certain jobs. So here's a question. Do you when you take that test, have you already signed up? 
Because um, I know that there are, are um, factions of the military where you sign up, you give your life to them, and then you get placed. So even if you wanted to be a Navy SEAL, yeah. they say, uh, sorry, you're not good enough, and they put you into a, a section. It's that been you- so long. I, I'm pretty sure that they don't let you fully in until you take that ASVAB. Okay. Um, but I don't quite remember the order of that goes. It was a while ago. But that'd be the those would be the steps. Like, make sure you kind of have a basic idea of what you want to do because those recruiters um, need to fill certain spots and they have a lot of stuff going on. So have kind of a game plan going into that recruiter's office because you can get swayed in a way that you might not have wanted to go. Um, so definitely have a game plan and be um, be direct with what you want to do. And then talk to the recruiter and you'll go to boot camp. You'll go through the physical eval, all that stuff. And then from there, it's like it just opens up for you and you can do whatever you want to do as far as career goes. So surprising to me that you said there's just a little over 300 rescue yeah. swimmers in the active, active right 300. Now. Yeah. How many did you say? Uh, I think it's like 341, I think is the last. Wow. I can't can't quite remember, but it's in the 300s. So it's a small group, which is awesome because... Um, and like, you know, like we go out, you know, like the shop in San Francisco at the time, it was only eight guys. So you're standing duty, you know, a couple times a week. Um, and then in Port Angeles right now, we've got eight guys. So it's like, you're with a very tight group of guys, tight community. Um, so that creates a lot of really like fun camaraderie, good workouts, good training. Um, and you're around like some crazy guys, you know, you gotta be a little bit crazy to do, do that job. So it's a good environment to be in. And what's your schedule? So, um, normally during the week, uh, you're working like seven to three, you work out, um, you do some training, you're going to fly and maybe do some maintenance on your gear. Right. And then when you stand duty, it's a 24 hour duty. So, um, that can be on weekends during the week, whatever. And usually those are like once or twice a week that you're standing duty and that's when you can get star cases and do the good stuff. So are you willing to field questions for people if they have absolutely questions? Yeah, I want to I want to get the word out and try to like, you know, set a good example with dealing with PTSD and, and being a swimmer and working out hard and how I deal with it. Um, so I'll definitely and if you're you know, wanting to know proper workouts, stuff like that, I can get you the information and hook you up and get you some really good workouts. OK, where, what's sure. the best way for people to get in so touch with you? Right now, it would probably be my email, which is ejchild808 at gmail.com. Um, my Instagram is still private, so but it's Johnny Utah 803 I think. That's a great so handle. great name. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just hit me up on either of those. Um, and I'm definitely willing to field questions, help people out, um, spread the okay, word. Okay, sure. so J Child, say again. EJ Child 808. EJ Child 808 yep. at gmail.com. Yep. Hit me up. Dude, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. This is a fantastic conversation. Fun. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. That's our show, everybody. I'm going to play you out with a song called Remedy in Between by the Sun Salutations. And this is a song by one of our listeners named Dave. Thank you, Dave. Um, I will link to their band in the show notes underneath this episode. Uh, And if any of you are musicians and you want me to play your tunes, head over to my website, kyle.surf, and email me. And don't forget, if you buy shit on Amazon, go to the book club, use the portal. It supports me, and it doesn't cost you anything. Got some good episodes coming out in the weeks ahead. And until then, as always, get out in the water, give someone a high five, and enjoy your day. See you soon.
Bye. 